And you know what? I I would encourage you because the question often is, what do we do after a mountaintop experience like this? And we go home, and we're not surrounded by so many like uh, like-minded believers, and we're kind of like in the valley, right? And and it's easy to kind of be like just forgetting about what we learned. And I am so thankful for the recordings that are, are being collected. And so I would encourage you to go home and listen to the messages again and take time to really look up the Bible uh, quotes and the Spirit of Prophecy quotes and read them in context because we're just kind of trying to juice down what we found into something that is digestible for you now. But if you go back and you and you look into the, there's so much more there that we can learn from what has been presented. So I would encourage you to, to continue the learning process. And like she said, share it. Because um, it's one thing to, to learn it and to keep it to ourselves. But really, you know, Christ desires for us to share what we have learned and to, to spread the blessing to others. So that's, that would be my... My recommendation. So before I get started, yet again, let me uh, humble myself before the Lord and let's pray one more time. Dear Heavenly Father, what a joy it is to enter into the experience of Christian sanctification. And Lord, um, I know that you have brought me onto a path that is very challenging um, so that I could have a clearer way of sharing this picture with people. And Lord, I pray that as I share this message this morning, um, again, I will claim your promises from Exodus 4.12 and Isaiah 51.16, where you have said, you are the Lord, you are the one who does it, and you will put your words in my mouth, and you have. And so, um, Lord, I just, every time I get up and speak, I claim to those promises. And um, Lord, I pray that each and every one of us who are here this morning will hear a pointed message from you, Lord, just what you want us to hear. And may I be hidden behind your cross, and may Jesus be seen in his name. Amen. So this morning I'm going to be sharing a presentation entitled Pins and Needles of Sin. And um, maybe you've noticed that I've been using the theme of object lessons throughout the weekend. Uh, You know, I really feel like Spiritual object lessons help us to really understand the things of heaven because we we better understand the things of earth because we interact with them in a tangible way, right? And as I read through the Bible, I can't help but notice that Jesus used object lessons in his method of teaching, right? And as I started to see this trend in his method of teaching, I started to wonder, why? Why did he choose to, to teach like that? Well, I found the answer in the book Christ Object Lesson. Imagine that. And um, it says on page 17, in Christ's teaching, the known was illustrated, the unknown was illustrated by the known, divine truths by earthly things with which the people were familiar. Like I just stated, this was why Jesus used object lessons. And it goes on to say that by connecting his teaching with the scenes of life, experience, or nature, he secured their attention and impressed their hearts. Afterwards, as they looked upon the objects that illustrated his lessons, they recalled the words of the divine teacher. To minds that were open to the Holy Spirit, the significance of the Savior's teachings unfolded more and more. Mysteries grew clear, and that which had been hard to grasp became evident. So we see here there's a lot of different reasons 
why he did this. And I'm hoping that by this object lesson that I share today, it can awaken a thought process within your mind. And then in the future, as you see these things that I use to illustrate this point, it will call to your memory the things that I shared today. And it will continue to, to bring this, this lesson more and more into significance in your life and in your mind. So today I'm actually going to be a sh sharing an object lesson that's very close to me. So close to me that it's actually inside of my skin. And that object lesson is tattoos. I think that today we see that tattoos are becoming more and more prevalent in the world, right? We see it's a growing trend, but, but just how prevalent is it? Sometimes we wonder. I looked up some statistics and I found that 21%, that being one out of five, U.S. adults have at least one tattoo, and they have seen over the years this number increases every year. So being that this statistic was uh, collected in 2012, I can say I, I know that this statistic is much higher than it was then. Compared to not having a tattoo, having a tattoo makes me feel, they asked this in the poll, and what do you think the number one most common response was? Some guesses. Unique, very good. Attractive, very good. Anybody else? One more? Loved, okay. I would say attractive would be very, very close. The number one response is sexy. 30% of people said that having a tattoo makes them feel more sexy. And I think that this is um, drawn out even more by the fact that nearly... Half of women under the age of 35 have tattoos, and that's almost double, double their counterpart um, because 47% of women have tattoos and 25% of men have tattoos. And I think in this world, we're a kind of program that women have to be sex symbols and they have to, they have to appear very sexy in order to have value, right? And I thought that was... Uh, made even more interesting by the fact that um, half of people who don't have tattoos say that people who have tattoos are less sexy. So they're kind of going for uh, an end that they're not necessarily accomplishing, right? And the second most common response was rebellious. So we can see here that people are receiving tattoos for the, the end of how they are feeling and how they are perceived. And I thought this was very interesting. I thought it was very compelling to know that only 14% of people would actually say that they regret their tattoos. And this was very interesting to me because looking up these statistics, I was thinking that's, that's, that's a low number. Because for me, I regret all of my tattoos. I received all of my tattoos between the ages of 18 and 24. And today I have nine. And today I regret them all. And, you know, that's because as I became a Christian, I started to learn about how the, the Bible says our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, we should glorify our God in body and in spirit. And, you know, I started to think about these things. And, and what does it mean to be the temple of the Holy Spirit? I feel like that means that Jesus dwells inside of us and we're his hands and feet on this, on this earth, right? And so... I started to think about my tattoos, and, and I thought, you know, they really aren't a way for me to glorify my God in body and in spirit. My tattoos seemed more like a, 
a rebellious teenager's way of spraying graffiti on her temple, right? And nonetheless, I, I didn't have the option of being free from them, right? Um, and then I learned that the Bible actually mentions tattoos. In Leviticus 19.28, it says, Ye shall not put any cuttings in your flesh for the dead, nor print any marks upon you. I am the Lord. So when I read this, I thought, for the dead, what does that mean? And so this led me into a study into the origin and history of tattooing. And so before I get into the object lessons, I want to kind of share some of these things with you because I think a lot of us don't really understand the, the nature of how tattooing became prevalent in our world today because it's a very popular thing. We do it for self-expression, but back then they were doing it for a different reason. The following documentation is from pro-tattoo books simply documenting the obvious spiritual and religious links of the tattoo. The facts are loud and clear, backed by tons of research and documentation by the leading pro-tattoo authorities on the planet. So these, uh, this conclusion here is not come to because this is my Christian perspective. This is the conclusion that ba- backed by facts and evidences just from history. And the, basically it says that the foundation, origin, meaning, and purpose of the tattoo is pagan, demonism, shamanism, Baal worship, and occult mysticism. So you might be thinking, wow, that's a really strong statement. So I'm going to show you just a couple brief um, quotes here that helped these people come to this conclusion. Historically, tattooing has originated in connection with ancient rites of scarification and bloodletting, which were associated with religious practices intended to put the human soul in harmony with supernatural forces and ensure continuity between this life and the next. So as I looked through a lot of the quotes, I saw that this was kind of a common theme, this the superstition Um, was not only the reason why people started getting tattoos, but also why they started piercing. Um, They they believe that evil spirits came into the mind through the ears, so they started piercing and gauging, stretching out the ears um, to ward off evil spirits. And so, you know, to to, um, put your soul in harmony with supernatural forces and and try to align yourself with the next realm for for reincarnation and things like that... Um, all very superstitious. And, and where it says here bloodletting and scarification practices in, in religion, we see this actually verified in the Bible. And we find that in the book of 1 Kings on chapter 18. And does anybody remember when Elijah was up on the, the mount with the prophets of Baal uh, on, on Mount Carmel? And they decided that they were going to see whose God was the true God, Right. And, and does anybody remember what they did there? The, yeah, they erected two altars, right, to call down fire from heaven to see whose God was the true God. And when the prophets of Baal began to call upon Baal to bring down fire from heaven, they started dancing around the altar and cutting themselves with stones. And so we see that this bloodletting practice was was actually a part of this pagan worship. And so they started cutting themselves, and eventually they would start rubbing ashes into the, 
into the wounds if they would become infected. We know how that works, right? And um, then they started to see if the cuts were really deep, it would actually hold in the ink and, or it, not the ink, the the ash, and it would start to create colored scars. And so, if your bloodletting was a sacrifice to your god, your scar was kind of like a, a symbol of that, right? And so, how much more prevalent would it be if it was colored? So this was kind of how the tattoo started to evolve into something that they practice more and more as a religious part of their um, worship. This is from a book called The Power of the Witch. It says, the origins of tattooing came from ancient magical practices. And another book says, when the designs are chosen with care, tattoos have a power and magic all of their own. They decorate the body, but they also enhance the soul. So maybe some of you are thinking, well, this is kind of what they did back then, and that's not what we practice today, and that's not why I got my tattoos. A lot of people say, well, you know, I I got a tattoo of a cross or of Jesus, and so this is for the Lord. But when you really think about it, um, if it has its origin and its, its foundation in something that is pagan, how can you really use that for the Lord if he says he doesn't want you to print marks on your body, right? So... And we see, actually, that this is still being practiced today. It's actually becoming um, even more prevalent, not just in religious practices. We see kind of in in a lot of tribal stuff, they're still doing this. But the Rolling Stone magazine in 2002 interviewed Paul Booth, and he said that during his tattooing um, sessions, he allowed his clients' demons to help guide the needle. So this is definitely something that that people who are involved in it acknowledge and realize that there is something supernatural and there's something going on here that's that's beyond to the surface. And so you can imagine my horror as I looked into the the origins of tattooing and started to realize that my my tattoos were were not just like graffiti, they were actually kind of like a billboard that showed that I used to follow the enemy. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that everybody who has tattoos is following the enemy and and worshiping Satan, right? But what I'm saying is that back then when I got those things, I was following the enemy, remember? (laughs) You guys all saw who I was. Um, And so, nonetheless, even though I had this struggle, I didn't let myself become, you know, utterly distraught about it. I know that God looks upon my heart and he looks upon the mistakes that I made and he forgives me for those things. And he says that um, when he comes again, I'll have a new body, right? So I didn't distress about it. But Matthew 6, 33 says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. In the context of this chapter, we see that he's talking about like food and drink and raiment, you know, where to lay your head. He's talking about the necessities of life. But I think sometimes God sees things as necessities in our lives that we don't necessarily recognize as a deep need. And God was seeing that within me. Um, And at at ASI 2014, I was working the booth. I was there with my colleague, Michael Carducci, and a gentleman approached the booth and started talking with us. And as he was speaking, I recognized his voice, and I thought, I know who that is. I'd never met him before, but I had listened to some of his stuff on courtship and marriage on Audioverse. His name was Dr. Phil Mills. And 
So I thought I've got some questions for him and I'm going to approach him later so we can we can talk about some of those questions that I have. And this reminds me about the story of um, in John chapter 4, verses 49 through 53. And there was a nobleman who came to Jesus and he was seeking for healing for his son. And he he went home and I guess this was spoken about last night. He just said, speak the word and it shall be done. He went home and then he, he learned that his son was healed and that he was healed in the same time when Jesus said um, that it is done, go on your way. And so he went to Jesus hoping for healing for his son. But because of the way that Jesus miraculously healed his son, he saw that Jesus was real and he saw that he was the true God. And so he believed, but also his whole household believed. So he went seeking for a small blessing of healing for his son, but he received a greater blessing for himself and all of his households of eternal life, right? And so I was going to seek a little bit of counsel, but God had a blessing in store for me that was greater than I could have imagined. So I started to talk to him and I was kind of using my hands, imagine that, you know, as I was speaking to him and he started to notice the tattoos on my wrists. And he just said, are you going to be in Georgia anytime soon? And I said, well, I don't have anything on my schedule as of right now. So he told me that he was a dermatologist and he had the equipment to remove my tattoos if I was interested in in that. And my eyes swelled up with tears and I said, well, the one I really want to get rid of is the one on the back of my leg. And I showed it to him. And he said, yeah, those need to go. And as we talked over the course of the weekend, he said, if I could come down the next week, he would not only remove these tattoos for me, but he would remove all of my tattoos for free. And I, I was just moved. I couldn't believe it. And in the back of my mind, I thought, wow, all of them? <laughs> he doesn't know I have nine. <laughs> and I think sometimes we do that with the gospel, right? The Lord says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. But we struggle with these things and we're, we're moving through this, this spiritual battle and God is helping us with these things here, but what about all these other things I keep stumbling on? And, and am I ever really going to be free from these things? But as I have entered into the experience of having my tattoos removed and also into the experience of Christian sanctification, I've seen that both of these things are a process. They're both a a very long process. And I've also learned that tattoos are a lot like sin. And Dr. Mills is a type of Christ in my life. So let's get into these object lessons and let's look a little bit deeper into these things. How about the ease of acquiring? Tattoos used to be something that just jailbirds and um, Navy guys on the the ships used to get and, and gangs and things like that. But that's not the only place where you can receive tattoos anymore. Now we see parlors and all the big cities. They're everywhere, on every corner almost. And they're even very prevalent in our smaller towns also. And so it's, it's easy to receive a tattoo. And so it's the same way with sin. 
it's, it's easy to, to make a compromise and to fall into something that you didn't necessarily intend to partake in. But you know what? We, we actually live in a world where we're deep in the spiritual warfare. And so a lot of times sin actually seeks us out because the enemy of souls is seeking whom he may devour, right? And so at first our, our sin, it seems fun and rewarding because it comes in in a disguise, and I think that's kind of how tattoos were for me. They were kind of in disguise as something that was just cool and popular and, and really exciting and fun. Um, but once I got one, I wanted more. And by the time I was 24, I had a plan for a full back piece, um, a, a piece that would cover my whole leg and half a sleeve. And that's, that's how people start out. I mean, I was very intrigued by tattoos at a young age as a girl, but I never imagined being completely covered in them. I thought I just might get one or two. But it's very addictive, and we'll talk a little bit more about that later. And as time goes on, we change. Our motives change, our priorities change, our desires change, and that's what happened for me and my tattoos. I didn't want them anymore. And sin often does the same thing. At first, it's exciting and then it's a grueling burden that we wish we could be free from, but somehow it's, it's stained into us, and it's something that we cannot be removed of. And I knew that tattoos would cost too much money, too much time, and too much pain. And this is what we're going to look at next. So this is after about five or six treatments on my tattoo on my chest here. You can kind of see how it's lightening up around the edges and the darker parts. On this one, actually, they are saying that the, the red and the purple will probably not be removed with the equipment that they have. Um, so that's kind of a look at one of them. Let's talk about the money. <clears throat> In the scheme of things, the average tattoo is relatively inexpensive. I got the ones on my wrist for $65 for both of them. The, that one that you saw of the devil, I got her for $200, and so you might be thinking, well, that's not inexpensive, but when I thought I would have these for the rest of my life, it didn't seem like too high a price to pay, right? Um, and sin is so cheap, right? Sin is so cheap to acquire. But you know what? Eventually, we will have to pay for the results of sin, because remember, as I talked about in my testimony, when, when we transgress the law of God, we are separated from him, and the results of sin is death because when we're separated from the source of all life, the natural occurrence is death. And so that is a high price to have to pay, right? Sin is cheap at first, but it is so expensive to have removed. And it's the same way with the removal of the tattoos. For the six tattoos that we're having removed in the end, like I said, the colors will still be there. So they're only removing six of the nine tattoos because... Three of them are so colorful that they know they can't successfully remove them, so they're just going to kind of leave those there for now um, until maybe, hopefully, the better equipment becomes available. And so this is the same for having the removal of tattoos. For the six of the nine, it's about $20,000 to have them removed. This is a price I myself could never pay, Right? Just the same for my sin, I could never pay that price without dying eternally, right? But then there comes Jesus. He walked into my life when I least 
expected it, right? And he said, I can remove those things for you. And the most beautiful thing is that he offers to do it for free. And while I do have to show up to the clinic, I mean, I I have to go down to Georgia every six to eight weeks. I have to show up and be there to receive the treatments. So there is a part I play. He says he's going to do it for me for free. And it might cost a little bit of gas. You know, I might have to make a few sacrifices to, you know, in my life. But, but God says he's going to do it for me. And so does Dr. Mills. So this is actually the tattoo that's been responding the fastest. Uh, this is what the tattoo looks like now. You can see that... Um, where the blue is on the bottom, it's turned red, and that's because she, she, she's really trying to hit the colors to see if maybe it'll work. Um, and these specific colors, any color that has yellow in it, uh, it reacts to the laser in a different way. So right after the treatment, it turns red. Um, so you see that there's some red and some, some purple up here, but the black is almost completely gone. And so I think that this kind of shows how... While the the devil girl is still there, right, she's still very dark and prominent, it's going to take a lot more treatments to remove that one, but this one's almost gone. I think this is kind of how different sins fall out of our life. While while the Lord is, is showing us in a very clear way that he's moving through these things with us very rapidly, it takes time to reprogram our brains, right? So for other things, it's, it's more of a journey, it's more of a long process. And I think about a smoker, right? Some smokers, they, they decide in their mind that they're going to quit. They lay it down. They walk away. And it's never a struggle again. Another smoker will go through times of stress and, and challenge. And then they're like, oh, I could really go for a cigarette right now. But other than that, they don't really think about it a lot. But some people, it's a struggle every single day. And they have to ter- determine in their heart and mind that they're not going to go back to that thing. And I think that we have different sins like this in our lives. And so it's a process. And we can trust that God is doing the work, even if we are still having these things that we're struggling with, right? We can look at the things that God has pruned out of our life. We can put our focus there and then claim Philippians 1 verse 6, right? God allows us to participate in the experience, Right? He, he allows us to make those sacrifices. He lo- allows us to have those sins that take time to be removed because if he just took it all away, right, then we would still just be like, I would still just be like Danielle. But God is, is putting me through a character refining process. He's, he's pruning away those needless branches, right, like we talked about yesterday. He's putting me in the furnace to burn away the dross so I can shine like pure gold. And so he's allowing us to go through these character-building experiences of laying down our own personal wants and surrendering to the understanding of God because his, his knowledge is infinite greater than ours, right? We can reason through things in our life and we can, you know, we can think that we know the difference between right and wrong, but essentially at the end we have to surrender to trusting his judgment over our own. You know, if God says that something is not in accordance to the safety zone he's created, we have to trust that until 
the better equipment becomes available until we, we better understand the journey that he's taking us through and, and those things are, are removed. And so now let's talk about time. Tattoos take but a moment to receive. I mean, for your general tattoo, you go in once and there it is, and you have your tattoo, and, and it's so exciting. And, I mean, some tattoos that are big, you have to go in for multiple sessions, but most tattoos, you go in once and there it is. And it's exciting, and, and then, you know, you're also creating a controlled injury, so you're releasing all these endorphins into your, into your bloodstream, and it's like, wow, it's really exciting, right? So <laughs> you're you're basically creating an addictive process. And that's why I said, you know, a lot of people end up getting a lot more tattoos than they plan on because it's exciting, but that excitement is fleeting and then you just want, you want it again. So it's kind of like a drug in and of itself, right? And this is how sin is. It's exciting at first, but that excitement is fleeting, and then you're left feeling this emptiness, and you need to fill that vacancy with more of that thing. But while tattoos and sin can be addictive, God, his path is very different because it's not always popular to be a Christian, right? It's not always easy to be a Christian, it's not a sensually stimulating path to be a Christian. A lot of the times it's, it's really, really hard. But I can tell you from experience that the hardships are worth the blessings that you receive. The hardships are always worth the blessings that you receive and also that you are equipped to give. Because God can give me a blessing. He can, he can shower upon me his goodness and I can see him move in my life. But when I share that with someone and then through that experience see him move in their life as well, that is, that is blessing upon blessing unto a measure that, that cannot be received. And you know, a lot of the, the happiness that is in the world, it's just false. And, and God wants to, wants to give us true happiness. He wants to give us healthy addictions. Amen. Right? Because Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 16 verse 15 says that his followers in times past had addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. So he wants to give us healthy drives towards things that are going to make us effective for his whole kingdom. Right? And furthermore, removal reminds me of that patient endurance of the Christian journey. And I've kind of drawn this out before, um, but I actually have to go in every six to eight weeks for a treatment for at least eight to 12 treatments. And now that we're getting to the end of it, um, these small ones are going to take about a year and a half, but the bigger ones are going to take a lot longer than that. They're going to take about two, two and a half years to have removed. And so, like I said before, we have to be patient in that journey. We have to continue on that journey and not be like the people who are crossing the Red Sea and sit down and have a picnic, right? Because the sea is going to close. <laughs> and, and God wants to complete the work he's begun in us. It says he will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. So what does that mean? He's going to perform us. He's going to perform it until we're ready to be in that day where Jesus Christ comes again 
to receive us on the sea of glass, and his saints are the ones that are going to be there. He's going to perform it until we have that character within our hearts and minds, right? So I know that I, I'm kind of reiterating a lot of the stuff that, that I've said yesterday, <laughs> but I, I really feel like if I, if I give it to you from a different perspective, maybe you'll be able to see it more clearly. Maybe it'll sink in a little bit more. And maybe repetition will deepen the impression, right? So here's that ugly one on the back of my leg. And you can see that that it is significantly lighter than it was. Um, I'm actually going to tell you a little bit about this tattoo. This tattoo is original art from a a musician that I knew in California. And remember how I said that I was kind of idolizing the music that I was listening to and I was also idolizing the the band members? This particular guy, um, I heard his music, I loved his music. I messaged him on his website, not expecting to hear back from him. But then he actually wrote me back. We started corresponding quite a bit, and eventually he was calling me his wifey, and he was writing out these messages about romantic walks down the beach and all this stuff. And oh, this, this castle building in my mind became pretty consuming, and I was just so in love with, with him, right? And I had never even met the guy. Honestly, he's always in costume in his, in his persona. He always has these big goggles on. If I saw this guy walking down the street, I probably wouldn't even recognize him because I haven't even seen his eyes, right? (laughs) And so this, for me, this was an idol. So that's, that's part of the reason why I wanted it gone so bad because not just because it was ink in my skin, but because of what it represented, right? And it's interesting to me that this one reacts so horribly when I get the treatments. Do you see this here in the center? It completely wells up with blisters, the whole tattoo. And none of the other ones do that. And I thought it was also interesting, too, because um, with, the, with the little devil girl there, you can see on her, on her um, arms, on her legs, on her face, it would turn red. Every time that I would get the, tattoo, uh, the removal, she would turn red where her skin was. And it only happened there on that tattoo in those specific places. It didn't happen around her. It didn't happen anywhere else. And, and I didn't realize at the time, like I said before, it was the yellow ink that would turn red. But to me, not knowing that, I would look at it. And every time I had just had a, a, a removal treatment done, it was like she was bleeding. Everywhere that the laser hit her skin, she was bleeding. And so it was kind of like... That little devil girl, <laughs> that one that I used to be, right? She was dying. And it was beautiful to think that one day I would look down and it would be gone. It wouldn't be there anymore. And, and God has done that in, in my life. And I think that sometimes our old nature wells up in us in different ways. You know, sometimes our old nature blisters when God comes in with that conviction. Sometimes our old nature begins to bleed when, when God says, I need you to let this thing go. Um, but you know what? God is wanting to help us to understand, like that teddy bear, right? That he's only calling us to let it go because he has something better in store for us.
And then the pain. The pain. This is the most prevalent and challenging point for me, the pain. Tattoos are indeed painful to receive, you know, it's, it's drilling the ink in with a needle. And so you have a pain to varying degrees. This one on my, on my wrist was kind of like dag- dragging a cat scratch, while the one on the back of my neck was very intense, and I had to just kind of sit there and focus on breathing, right? Um, sometimes we kind of push through that initial pain or conviction we know this thing isn't right, right? We, we get over into the briar, into that, that safe, we're getting out of the safety zone, we're getting into the hedge, and we're, we're getting that prick of the conviction, but we, we push through it for some reason because we think that something on the other side, you know, God's just trying to keep us from this thing that's really good for us, and, and we, we push through that, that initial pain and we get onto the other side. We don't realize that those things out there outside of the safety zone are only going to further wound us, Right? And so I push through the initial pain of receiving the tattoo because I thought that the pure enjoyment of having them would far outweigh pushing through that initial conviction, right? Pushing through that initial pain. While in contrast, removing the tattoo is much more painful than receiving the tattoo, I would describe it as excruciating, (laughs) Because basically the laser is incinerating the ink and breaking it down into something that the body can remove through the lymphatic system. Because when you force that ink into your skin, your body's like, whoa, foreign object, and your immune system attacks it and encapsulates it there so that it doesn't spread. And so now the body is is able to remove it through the lymphatic system. And so God is actually what he's doing through that conviction. He's helping you to see it from a new perspective, right? We've talked about that in depth. And as you see it from a new perspective, then it's broken down in your life and he is able to remove it, right? So having my my tattoos removed... uh, um, It's kind of like driving a thick, hot needle into my arms here. It's kind of like shooting balls of fire into my muscle. The first time they did the the removal on the back of my leg, they hit me five times with the laser, and I was crying. It was like more than than I could bear. It was was intense. And so what I did was I I started taking my little little iPhone, and I had the Desire of Ages on, on audiobook, and I would put that in my into my ears, and I would listen to the chapter on the crucifixion. And I would think about all the pain that Jesus went through to cleanse me of my sin, right? I can't imagine the pain of having nails driven through my palms and then to have all of my weight suspended onto those nails. That's a pain I can't imagine. And then it says that when they erected the cross, they didn't just put it into the hole gently. They thrust it in as hard as they could, and this jostled the Savior in a way that created such intense pain for him. And as I would think about that pain, I would think about how he went through that just so he could help me through this pain right here. He went through that just so he could help you through this pain right here. 
and everything that you're going through right now, he sees it. And he's saying, don't worry, because I went through even more so that I could cover you right here in this thing that you're experiencing. And you know, the amazing thing for me is that for Jesus, it, it wasn't the, the physical pain, the physical injury that even killed him. Because when he was on the cross, this thick darkness hung over. And he, was, he couldn't see through the portals of the tomb anymore, right? This, this darkness completely shut him out from God. And that eternal separation that he experienced, I mean, it was even portrayed in a literal darkness coming over the face of the earth there at that time, right? I mean, this was eternal separation that Jesus was experiencing for you. And while you're going through all of these things, you don't have to feel like you are eternally separated from God. You don't have to feel like you're alone because Jesus is always with you. In that moment, you are never alone. Even though Jesus bore the sin and the guilt and the shame on the cross, feeling that utter separation, you never have to experience that. Our journey away from sin can be more painful than receiving it. Now I have been wounded. I have been scarred, not just in my skin, but in my heart and in my soul because of the things I've experienced in the world. And I have to live with the mental struggles that come in because of the things that I have seen and heard in my life in times past, because of the the whispers of the enemy and his accusations towards me because of what I've done. I have to wrestle against the, the, the draw towards those things because it still comes in every now and then, right? You know, sometimes we have to be healed after being betrayed by someone. Maybe we have... we have physical injury created within us because of what we've chosen to do in walking away from God. And sometimes the healing process hurts a lot more than pushing through that initial conviction, right? The consequences are much more heavy and much more ugly. And we cannot get through those kind of things without the Lord, without Jesus. Sometimes, you know, I will... What I've kind of taken to doing now and instead of, or sometimes, in, in place of listening to the Desire of Ages, I will sing. I'll actually sing out loud. I'll put my headphones in and I'll sing out loud. And at first I was a little bit embarrassed and, and I would sing really quiet, but I don't sing quiet anymore. You know, the, the ladies, they, they, they say, whatever you need to do, they're encouraging to me and they're patient with me. And they're always like, do you want me to stop? Or are you I'm like, just keep going, don't stop, you know? So I'll just sing, and, and singing puts me in the atmosphere of heaven, right? It, it places me within the zone of really thinking about what Jesus is doing for me, how he's here for me. I sing song lyrics that really help me to, to, to visualize in a vivid way that Jesus is there with me and what he's doing in me through this process and what he's doing for me now in the sanctuary. He's blotting out my sins there right now, right? And... Um, Sometimes when the pain is more than enough, especially up here by my collarbone on this side where there's much more dark ink and it's so concentrated and, and there's, there is more pain where there's more ink because it's burning more things up, right? Sometimes right up here by my collarbone or on the back of my leg, I can't sing anymore. I can't do anything and I just start to cry. And at that point, 
my sweet little laser technician, she says, keep singing, keep singing. I'm praying for you. And all I can do is focus my mind on the Lord in prayer, right? And this is what we can do. God has given us so much to focus our mind upon when we're going through to realize the, the love that he has given to us, everything that he's given. He wants us to call our minds back to that. And he wants us to sing even if we're in prison after being beaten, like Paul and Silas, right? He wants us to sing through the pain and everything that's excruciating for us. And in those moments where we can do nothing more, we can fall on our knees and fall on our face and pray. And he comes in, and I'll tell you what, when, when all I do is pray and I focus my mind right there on the Lord, he doesn't fail me. He doesn't fail me. And she has even said to me multiple times, I think she, now she says it every time I come in, she says, there are full-grown, big, burly men that come in here, and you, you, t- you stand this much better than they ever do. <laughs> and I give all the praise and honor and glory to God, because if, I, if I'm slack on, on you know, keeping my mind stayed on the Lord, I just fall apart. I, I see in an instant the difference between focusing my mind on Jesus and not. <laughs> And, and she sees me fall apart too. And so I say, you know, look at the way that I, that I cope with it. It's not me who's tolerating this. This is Jesus keeping me and staying me through all of this. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close here with a song. And, you know, today I, I'm going to do something that I don't usually do. And I'm going to say that maybe there's someone here today who hasn't who hasn't said like I did in my heart, I, I want everyone here to know, know that I choose Jesus. Maybe you have never been baptized before, and you want today to proclaim to the universe by just taking a stand and coming forward, you want to say that, that you choose Jesus. Or maybe you have been baptized before, but you've walked away from the Lord, you've lived openly in sin and away from him, and you, and you want to recommit your life and repurpose your life in rebaptism. I want you to contemplate the words of this song as I sing in closing. And if, if that burden is on your heart, that, that you want to accept that, that invitation from Jesus to be baptized or rebaptized, I want to invite you to come forward. Many nights were spent in bitter tears, begging God for their salvation. But even after all these years, I don't see any apparent changes. But even if I cannot see, All the answers come immediately. My prayers are not lost. They're under your care. Before your throne and you remember them there. All the words that were said, though I may forget, stay before your throne, you remember them yet. For my prayers are not lost, yeah. My many faults have brought me to my knees. I'm pleading to be more like Jesus, 
And if that's what God desires of me, then why don't I see any changes? But even if I cannot see, all the answers come immediately. My prayers are not lost, they're under your care. Before your throne and you remember them there. All the words that were said, though I may forget, stay before your throne, you remember them yet. So I'll choose to press with all my might, my petitions to your throne of grace. And I'll pray by faith and not by sight, clinging to the promises you've made. My prayers are not lost, they're under your care. Before your throne and you remember them there. All the words that were said, though I may forget, stay before your throne, you remember them yet. For my prayers are not lost yet. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, this weekend has been powerful for me, and I pray that it's been powerful for each and every person who's been gathered here as well. And Lord... Today, as we have just contemplated this object lesson, Lord, in, in detail and in depth, I pray that this had, has created, has painted a very vivid picture in the minds of your children. And that, Lord, the purposes that you taught within object lessons would be fulfilled within the purposes that I have spoken in this object lesson today. That you would recall these object lessons to the hearts and minds of these people in the future. And Lord, that it's easy to look upon a person who has a tattoo and to judge them and think they must be far from God. But Lord, may we look upon them with now a greater compassion because we all have sin in our lives and, and help us to look upon that person as someone who is level at the foot of the cross with us, who who has sin in their lives, and we need to pray for them, and we need to love them and accept them just the way that Jesus does, and to pray that, that a greater knowledge of your truth will come into their heart and minds, because we all need that, Lord, and we ask for that greater knowledge for our hearts also. And Lord, as I've made a call for baptism and no one stepped forth, maybe someone in their heart has stepped forward and said, Lord, I, I don't have the courage to go up there today, but but I give you my heart. And I know that sometimes there are people like that because that's, that was what was in the heart of my, my colleague, Michael Carducci, who I went to ASI with. And so, Lord, if there's anyone out there who's wrestling with the idea, coming forward doesn't do anything for you, just like dunking yourself in water doesn't cleanse you of sin, but, but it's a, it's, it is a expression to the universe. And it it places things in motion that we in and of ourselves cannot place in motion. 
And so for any person who is here today who is maybe struggling with that decision, Lord, even though they're not standing up front, I still want to pray for them. And I ask that you will help us to continue to pray for all of the people in the world who are wrestling between choosing you or not. And Lord, I pray that you will write your law upon our hearts that we might not sin against you, Lord. And we thank you in Jesus' name. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.